Painter, I noticed as we started recording this, you have a uh, is it a pullover or some sort of jacket or something on your on your chair with the with the Auburn High logo. Yeah, I had forgotten about this pullover. One of my favorites. It's it was too big then. It's still too big now. Like a lot of my things, I guess I or my mother thought I would grow into it. I am starting to grow out wide. I've put on my uh, winter coat, so to speak, here in parts unknown as it's gotten colder. But yeah, it's uh, Bo Morrissey. Compliments of him. He used to do like a a team surprise for us at the beginning of the year, and this one was a uh, Auburn High embroidered pullover with our last names on it. And as a like sixteen year old, you know, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So I bring it up because people are asking Auburn High goes for a long time without signing a football player to Auburn University. The other way around, I should say Auburn University signing an Auburn High player. And then you get your newfound power as uh, an important person at the Auburn Observer. And then Auburn High starts becoming a pipeline for Auburn University again. Uh, with now with, and we'll talk about it in the main main show, with Braden Joyner becoming, I believe it's the third uh, Auburn player, Auburn High player in less than a year to commit to play for uh, play for the university. And people are people are wondering if uh, if if you're if you're the influence, if you're the if you're the uh, if you're the bag man here. Like all things, I have no evidence to prove that I'm at the center of any of this, but I'm happy to take credit for it. I will also add that I think it would be a funny twist if Harson just keeps giving all of his sons friends scholarships, but will not offer him one. That would be, that would... like, let's say he becomes a good enough player that he could play in the SEC. And he was like, no, this is a one and no mentality family. You're going to earn that scholarship by becoming a walk on. Well, the other thing with walk-ons is there, there's a number of Auburn High players that have gotten uh, preferred walk-on offers, too, now, recently. And it's just, I mean, it's easy. I mean, we said it when, when Harson, you know, Harson came in with this push that it was like, I'm going to recruit all across the country. You know, we're going to go to the West Coast. We're going to go to some of these spots where Auburn doesn't normally recruit. We're going to pull players in because we want this to be a, a national brand. And yet, you know, I, I think there was some of that with people sitting here saying like, eh, I mean, is, is he going to be able to recruit um, in the area and like the hyper local region, um, not only with Auburn high kids, but when you look at uh, the fact that they, they had commitments from guys right down the road uh, in several directions. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so easy you know, to, to foster some, some local goodwill by, um, by getting players, uh, who are, who are from the area. We talked about this around, I don't, I don't know if it was the Rashawn Evans decision. I don't, I don't think it was the Mahmoud Diabate decision either. Maybe closer to Mahmoud's, but we talked, I remember talking to you about this, but it's like, and I guess, I guess you can identify this a little bit. It's like if you grow up in Auburn and if you are somebody who spent their life there, something about college and something about that 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 experience to go elsewhere is pretty appealing because it's not like it's, you have added pressure if you're from your hometown. But, you know, some people want to move off and be off on their own um, when they go to college and – you know, that's I think that's an experience that some guys that Auburn has not been able to land from around here have taken. But now they've, they've kind of flipped on that. I think it's obviously enticing for a lot of people to leave home. Like, that's probably just a pretty normal thing that most 17, 18-year-olds want is to stretch out. Right. Uh, and to, to do their own thing and not feel like they're in their parents' backyard, so to speak. I, I guess for a football player of the magnitude – we're talking about for some of these guys that are four stars, even three stars, like you can go almost anywhere. I mean, within yeah. reason. Right. And so yeah, suddenly yeah. it's like, not only does this natural urge to go do something on your own come up, but it's like, Oh, I like, I have the means uh, and an unusual circumstance to like execute that and to be able to go anywhere I want. Like, um, Oh, I forget his name, but uh, who's the player for Auburn high defensive back that went to Stanford. Amari Porter, um, which 
who is uh, the the son of Larry Porter, uh, former Auburn assistant coach. Yeah, I, I think I think Auburn's also been the beneficiary. This isn't new information, but like Seth Williams grew up in in Tuscaloosa and Cottonwood and decided to go to Auburn and kind of carve out his own lane. JJ Pegues is from Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, and decided he wanted to come to Auburn instead of staying home at Ole Miss. Like, you've been the beneficiary of that from time to time, and now I think Auburn's trying to flip a little bit more, and and the ties there I think are going to be pretty significant. And for a case like you were saying, you know, E.J. Harris um, had plenty of really good offers. Um, you know, you, you, you have a situation here with Braden Joyner, who, again, we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, I mean, Georgia was after him and and Georgia's playing in the national title game and has had a, a really good track record at um, on the offensive line here recently um, so the fact that Auburn's getting these guys is is uh, you know it, it is significant it, it is significant and I think in the case of, uh, of Braden I mean some people think he might be the one of the best interior linemen in the country for his class and uh, he didn't even play he didn't even start on the offensive line at Auburn High this year, um, he played a lot of defense because Auburn High was pretty stacked up front. Um, so, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to a lot of it here uh, shortly. But uh, I just wanted to kind of open with the fact that Auburn High is producing more Auburn football players, and Painter has something to do with it. I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure what all the involvement is or how much you would, how much you would like to admit. It's all me. It's all me. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson right here in an undisclosed location in Florida. Um, visiting family and uh, Painter Sharpless in Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. The place that you're at looks very Florida. It's bright, all right? There's a lot of white on the walls. They've got those Mm -hmm. beams up top that let you know you're in Florida, the wooden beams on the ceiling, uh, the light, you know, just protruding through. It looks very Florida. You've got that plant in the corner. I'm sure you put that there. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it was... 82 yesterday here uh i was running errands uh for some relatives and stepped outside into the parking lot of a, of a store and i was like oh no it's just hot <laughs> like it's, it's just warm out here um so, i got between five and six inches of snow yesterday dog was a snow pup yesterday uh it is going to be uh minus eight degrees well and also your beloved uh, Buffalo Bills are gonna. It looks like they're gonna be playing a snow game here on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons, which I am fascinated to see how that develops. Love that. Love that for us. Uh, negative degrees. That is, uh, that is a fate I don't want to ever have to come across. I don't think. I mean, I think the coldest I've ever been, like weather wise, I think it was somewhere one time where it was like seven or eight degrees outside. But like even colder than that, just feels like I would probably die my better half uh, insisted that i buy a real winter coat so i did go to yeah, marshall's yeah. and get one attaboy attaboy we love savings um appreciate you guys tuning in and listening uh to this podcast we have quite a bit to talk about uh today for football and uh we will get to uh basketball uh kind of take an early look at auburn and south carolina before they play on tuesday night in columbia um but first Let's start with some of the biggest news for Auburn football here the last few days since the last time we talked. Our last podcast, the Inner Circle one, last Thursday, we talked about Colby Wooden coming back for 2022. He has now been joined uh, up front by Derek Hall. And uh, also, in a bit of a surprising move, I think, uh, John Samuel Shanker uh, at tight end. Um, We'll start with Derek Hall because he was the first to make the announcement. Derek Hall is uh, coming off a season where he – people had kind of said for a while, it's like, all right, when he kind of puts it all together and kind of turns it loose, watch out. Uh, he could be a pretty he could be a pretty special player. 
Um, and this past season, nine sacks, um, the most in a season for Auburn since uh, Jeff Holland had ten uh, back in 2017. Had three, of course, in the in the Iron Bowl was a huge reason why Auburn was in that game for as long as it, as long as they were. Um, him and Ekuliota last season combined for 16 sacks, uh, and both of those guys should be back. Uh, I think Leota is draft eligible, but he has a, he has eligibility left, and I, I don't think he is one of those guys who was seriously considering going to the league. But you know, I could be wrong. Um, we talked painter about what all Auburn has to do to reload next season. And at linebacker, you have to replace Jacoby McClain, possibly even Owen Papo, even though it seems like the more time goes on, maybe Owen will probably stay uh, at Auburn. Um, defensive back, you have to replace uh, one of your best corners in a, in a while in, in Roger McCreary, but also Smoke Monday and Buddy Arius Knighton and, and, and guys like that on the back end. One of the best things to do – to overcome those second and third level reloading reloading processes is just be really good at the point of attack and really good at the line of scrimmage. And Derek Hall coming back for one more year, him and Colby Wooden. I mean, these are guys that could be all SEC type of performers next season. And Leota also is is, is a really is a really top player for Auburn. Um, you can see where this really, really helps Auburn out defensively next season because this defensive front, I thought, for the most part in 2021, did a great job. And now they should take a, a further step forward in, in 2022. Starting with the obvious, you have so much work to do on the offensive side of the ball. As much continuity and experience as you get back on defense is an even uh, greater added bonus, perhaps, than usual. As you just mentioned, probably your most consistent unit on the team can you correct me if that's not correct i mean would the I, other option be defensive backs who did have some noticeable struggles at different periods of time like i think the defensive backs got beat up a bit by the fan base because of what we talk about it's obvious when they make mistakes but there were some obvious mistakes in a couple of games like penn state and mississippi state for instance were not awesome days yeah for the defensive back I think I think I think it's down between either defensive line or defensive the defensive front when you count the edge guys uh, and the other position we're going to talk about here shortly is tight end. Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's down between those two for sure. And then getting back Colby and Derek, probably your two most impactful players. It's not like a whole lot that you have to spend time talking about. You get these guys back that have uh, some pro potential. They have experience. Uh, given that it seems like Owen might be back and you knew you weren't getting Zacoby or at least almost certainly weren't getting Zacoby back and it just like wouldn't have made sense if Roger had come back. This is about, I think, as good of a break as you're going to catch on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, Auburn's defensive front is pretty stacked here for, for next season. Um, when you look at all the guys they are putting together uh, up front, and this is a list of... This is a pretty strong list at this point, but you've got um, right now, even without signing Caden Story, you've got 17 guys um, set for for next for next season. Derek Hall, Echo Leota, Dre Butler, Colby Wood, Marcus Harris, J.J. Pegues, Zachivis Walker, Romello Height, Jeffrey Embaugh, Daniel Foster Allen, Jason Jones, the Oregon transfer, and then of the guys that were freshmen this past season, uh, Dylan Brooks, Lee Hunter, Marquise Robinson, Tabichio Coley, Ian Matthews, and now uh, I think it's Ennis Sledge. I, I gotta I gotta find a way to correctly pronounce that guy's name. People have corrected me multiple times, and, and I've and I've I've been off. Mister Sledge, the Sledgehammer. Um, and we've seen, uh, you know, you lose Tony Fair and TD Moultrie, and and Caleb Johnson enters the portal, and we'll see Marquise Burks. I think you know it'll be interesting to see what it ends up happening with him, but. Um, that's a lot of dudes up front, you know, that's, you can go, you can go four, three, four deep across the board there. And and I do wonder with Colby and Derek coming back and them going and getting Jeffrey and Ba and going and getting Jason Jones, I do wonder if we're going to see departures at the position. Um, you've got a lot of dudes who did not play as much or at all this, this past year. I, I also didn't mention also in that, in that, 
rundown of defense line. I didn't mention Jeremiah Wright in there. Who appeared according to be the breakout player of the preseason. And according to people who were at uh, bowl practices on Christmas Eve, uh, the, the reporters who were up there, they all said that Jeremiah Wright was working with the offensive line again. You know, he had the had the ACL tear and, you know, wasn't playing this season. Back out there, Auburn definitely has more of an issue on the offensive line than the defensive line. And Jeremiah Wright was a guy who came into Auburn as an offensive lineman. And so now he is pushing back potentially to defensive line. I don't think that's set in stone yet, but – Again, it's pretty I mean, obvious there's a greater need of that position if you've got a guy right. that can do it. Yeah, you might uh, you might end up defaulting. And I don't I don't have, you know, I'm not going to say this for a fact, but like I, I don't know if there's necessarily any other guys on that defensive side that would move back to offense or who would, that would make a move to offense. Um, I think you got to like people always mention JJ Pegues fullback and like. <laughs> and you always look at Pegues as a guy who would be just a killer uh, wherever you put him. But I think also they made that move with his his potential long-term future in mind, his individual future in mind, that he can make a lot more money playing defense than offense. Um, Should we run an end around with him in next year's bowl game? Yes, 100%. 100%. You have to, you have to run the end around with him. So – Auburn's got to get all, more offensive linemen, and uh, we'll talk about again. We'll we'll talk about one of the ones they picked up for the future here uh, in a little bit. But um, that defensive front is is pretty nasty, and I you know going to the the playoff games on Friday night, Friday during the day, Alabama Cincinnati that was a mismatch from the beginning. Everybody knew that was going to be the case. Um, talent-wise, and I thought Cincinnati hung in there right. I mean, pretty well. Statistically speaking, that's about how much Alabama beats everybody in the semifinals. So yeah. it's like, all right, good for yeah. you, Cincy. Like, I'm, I'm here with it. You know, we all kind of knew this was coming, right? Uh, it's not impossible. Alabama's lost a couple of bowl games that we didn't expect. I think most notably, like, what was it, 08, 09, when they lost to Utah. But something was on the line here. I didn't expect Nick Saban to allow his team to show up flat-footed. Yeah, and Georgia-Michigan, I mean, I even said last week I thought Michigan had a really good shot yeah, at winning this game. The trenches, I thought that and was going to be a pretty even battle. They got absolutely pushed around by Georgia. They got they got manhandled up front by Georgia, including Aiden Hutchinson, a guy who, think, who people think could be a number one pick in this draft. Jamari Saylor just was like, nah, you weird. ain't getting at me. Yeah, he just he just kind of stonewalled him. It's not like that. I don't, I don't think Hutchinson just forgot like how to play. I just think it was like a wild adjustment to have to play against that yeah. Georgia def- or Georgia offensive line. And the thing there is, is that I think the overall team speed was a difference. Like Michigan's got some dudes. They've got some. They've got some skill position talent. But man, Georgia was just on a different level than than these guys. And it's. You know, not to go full SEC chant here, but like it's kind of it's just a different game. Yeah, it it is makes a different... sense that Alabama is the only team that could do what they could do against that Georgia defense. It's the only yeah, team, it's... And, and like again, I agree with you. I don't think Michigan is really lacking talent, but they're right now under sixty percent in the blue chip ratio, and Alabama yeah. and Georgia are above eighty. And I think it's also telling that in a game you know it's one game you don't want to like put too mm-hmm. much on in a one game sample size but you know up until that late touchdown of the two point conversion Auburn and Kentucky and Tennessee these teams that weren't you know Florida even um I, was it Florida no South Carolina sorry Florida did play Alabama and Georgia tight up to a point and then the dams yeah. sort of broke against Georgia for for Florida South Carolina was one I was, when I was thinking this with Clemson obviously those teams played Georgia tighter than the team that won the Big Ten this year. It's I think it has a lot to do with it's just different. It's just different, and and I think the trenches are a big big difference. Like Auburn was able to, and some of these other teams were able to get to the quarterback and like you know not make sure that they just did whatever they wanted. And then on the flip side. You know, remember that Auburn Georgia game? Auburn's drops were the biggest problem. They were moving the ball against Georgia um, at times and on certain drives in that game. And so, I think that's the thing where 
you you have to look at it that you know yes this season was not a good one for Auburn but I, I think when you look at the fact that Alabama and Georgia are playing in another national championship game these are the two best teams in the in America and they're playing like Auburn had a real shot at beating one of them and didn't you know did not put up the worst effort by any means against the other they got a long way to go to compete with those kind of teams consistently. Those team games were both at home, which definitely makes a big difference when you talk about the Jordan Hare crowd. Um, but I think it, it's it just goes to show for Auburn. It's like they're playing on a different. They're playing just a different, not a different sport entirely, but like they're playing a different level of competition than most teams, right? You know, you look at you look at Michigan. They play in the Big Ten and they and they go into the into the college football playoff, whereas some of these teams that played Georgia better this year won six, seven, eight games. It, it just kind of shows the gap. And I think Clemson's done a good job of being in that spot. And I think Ohio State year most years is in that in that in that territory because of who they get and where they get it, where they get that talent from. But it's once again another situation where. If you live life in the SEC and you don't even have to be a top tier team in the SEC to be in a much better spot to compete uh, with with a lot of these other teams, when you when you take the best of the best. Now, of course, Auburn's problem this year was that they were not consistent enough. Yes, you can almost beat Alabama, but also blow that huge lead to Mississippi State, like the, a Mississippi State team that got carried. boat raced in its bowl game. Like I think that's why the to sample a, size to a team that to a team that fired their head coach. Yeah, and the sample size thing you mentioned is an important one to keep in mind. Like, if Michigan plays this game ten times against Georgia, I don't think that they win more than three of them. But, like, maybe we watched a version that was particularly unfortunate for Michigan. At the same time, like, I don't tend to get all up in arms about the SEC's bowl record for a number of reasons. Like, look at the championships. Look at the teams in the Final Four. Look at the players that go pro. Like, look at the All-Americans in a lot of years, the Heisman. There's just plenty of reasons to realize why this is the best, deepest, most talented conference. On the other hand, as an Auburn fan, don't care that much because we still ended up with one of the worst conference records in the league. And it's like, how much good does that do you to brag about your rivals being no. really good. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think it's not, and I don't think very many Auburn fans have the whole SEC. Like, I think Auburn continues to be kind of the rebel of that of the of the conference and be like, yeah, you know, and the SEC chance. Like, yes, they get weaponized when you know it's it's more of a it's more of an invention. I think uh, at this point, like it, it legitimately was a thing, and then people, the more as time gone on, I think fans in the league of figured out how lame it is but it's still also yeah there is some there is some irony behind it i think well and the other thing there is is that everybody had to make their same dorky like the sec obviously do you know they've won every bowl game that they cared about playing and it's like that is like you're beating you're beating a straw horse you know not only is it not only have you constructed a straw horse a a a a trojan horse of, of, of straw men uh, you're also beating it to death, and like there were so many people, even uh, people that I like, that were like tweeting that over and over again. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, watching the Birmingham Bowl, like after the game, they're like, "Well, the SEC." Like, no one's making that argument, right? No one would. No one watched. No one watched the Music City Bowls specifically, uh, but no one should have watched the Birmingham Bowl and came away from is like, well, the SEC team lost because they weren't trying. No, the SEC team lost because they didn't play as well. Right. right? Houston, in the case of Tennessee, they mm-hmm. got screwed by the but they screwed, got screwed by the officials who couldn't play defense for like <laughs> for like an hour of that game. And I think it's interesting. This isn't the case all the time, but sometimes what you get is an eleven and two, now twelve and two Houston team playing one of the worst SEC teams that they could play this year. Like if Houston played the second best team in the conference as they were the second best team in their conference, what that would be Georgia. So how, yeah. would, how would that go if they were not playing what Auburn had, the, I think the third or fourth worst record in conference play, but I think Vanderbilt and Florida both had worse conference records. We tied with LSU, but we beat them. So I guess I'll give them the edge there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Tennessee is fun. Like, Tennessee is a version right now of itself where it's like, well, you guys have been relevant for 15, 20 years, but at least you are fun to watch because you're scoring 40 points. Like, if you're going to lose, that's one way to do it. Yeah. The uh, the other thing is, is like, 
this is where sample sizes and bowl games kind of get a little disconnected from the season. So even all the points I just made kind of, <laughs> kind of fall flat here, but like perfect example, Auburn beats Arkansas on the road, loses to Penn state on the road. Arkansas plays Penn state in a bowl game and Arkansas gets a win. Right. Like, and, and looked really good in the process. Like the, I, that's where I that's where I go back and forth where it's like Auburn, you know, Auburn had a bad season by their standards and they did not have a good record. But I also don't, I also didn't come out of there thinking like, oh, everything is hopeless. Like, no, they beat some quality teams. And I wish, I definitely wish Matt Corral could have stayed healthy and, and, and play like I, Baylor's really good, but like Ole Miss was just kind of dead in a pile as soon as, as soon as he got hurt uh, on Saturday night. And that sucks. And, Again, I guess we should talk about it briefly. I don't know why, but it seemed like the game day crew really touched a nerve yesterday. Like that, that conversation is not a new one, which is part of the reason why I felt like it did touch a nerve. Because it's a pretty old and tired and even lazy thing to say at this point. Uh, But I don't know. I, I felt like the reaction was different. Maybe enough people are coming around to this concept of like how silly it sounds that these people in the positions with the megaphones that they have are talking out of both sides of their mouth here. Yeah, here's my thing about it. And our buddy Alex Kirshner pointed this out on 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 Twitter last night, or on Saturday night. He was saying those people who are in these positions making these statements make money off of college football. They're lively. We do as well. Like our livelihoods are affected by college football. We are making money off of players who do not make money until they get to the league. Yes, there is NIL now, but uh, we're talking about getting paid for their actual work, their yes, actual Yes, we have moved labor. into the very progressive stage of letting people make money off of their own name and face. Right. <laughs> so it's like, now do they get any sort of payment for working a second job outside of school? Right. Of so the answer right now is no, but I digress. The thing there is, is that opt-outs... Opt-outs definitely affect the bowls, right? You know, it makes these – Pitt, Michigan State ended up being a very fun game. Has less of a – has has less of a, a of a buzz to it. Yeah, Kenny Pickett um, led them this awesome season. They didn't, we didn't get no, to see that. And no Kenny Pickett, no Kenneth Walker III either. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that makes – And then that the crowd Rose, gets hurt and you go, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the Rose Bowl – the Rose Bowl – you know, has plenty of opt-outs from the Ohio State side. Still, we get Jackson Smith and Jeeba putting up a video game stat line against Utah in the, in the Rose Bowl. I fell asleep during the second half of that game. <laughs> so I woke up and I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's was unreal. that the best bowl game? of the, There's been a couple that have been good. That one's in the it's either that or It's either that or the Music City Bowl. I mean, that Music City Bowl was, was just, awesome. Just... They, no one could tackle. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, we all make money off of this, and I think I think what we're seeing is people getting mad when their money's affected, right? And it's like these people are in the in the interest of protecting, you know, the players are in the interest of protecting their own futures, right? And now you get to a point where, you know, if I work for ESPN, it's like, well, the ratings are down, or you know, this is what it's like, stop. And the other thing there is is that this is part of their own problem, right? Why do people opt out as much of these bowl games and more than they used to? Well, they, One, spent, I think, they spend 11 months, whatever it is, out of the year talking about the college football playoff. Certainly during the season, it's just all geared towards that, that four-team playoff. Yeah, it is. And so the playoff system right now is just not very good. And the, and the semifinals are proof of that. In all of the semifinals we've seen in, in, the, in the college football playoff era, I think only three of 16 have been close games. Your friend Bill Bender wrote a, a nice little story just the other day about – the and he's not the only one to do it, but it's just absurd how not close the majority of semifinal games have been, which is why anyone talking Cincinnati down right now, it's like, just go check the score about every time Alabama plays someone, it's in that range. Well, you've gotten to a point now where you've added just basically one more step in the process and you've expanded the playoff and you've gotten more people into it, but it hasn't made it better. And instead of a a system anymore where you say, all right, the two best teams are going to play for the national championship, which is a very controversial and not a great way to determine things. At least it was like, yeah, the Rose Bowl meant more. The going to the Sugar Bowl meant more like that. 
those games meant more. And you spent, somebody pointed this out uh, on Saturday. It's like, there. I mean, the ESPN used to like commit a lot of time to being like the race for the Rose Bowl. Like to like, it was a big deal if you were going to win the Pac-12 or win the Big Ten. And like, you know, not only is like winning your conference, but also get to Pasadena for one of the most prestigious bowls you can possibly play in one of the biggest games you can possibly play in that isn't for a national championship. Do do you think that ESPN and at large, like that we can put that cat back in the bag? Is that how that phrase goes? Cause I do wonder now there's been this, I think shift over the last five to 10 years where those bowl games don't mean what they used to. On the other hand, you see the reaction of the players winning what are, are essentially exhibition games. I think, I think you get more people, keep more people interested in what you're doing. You either make it so that only two teams are playing for a championship and only two teams get in and everybody else has to play for the same stakes, or you expand this bad boy and say, okay, well, more teams need to be involved in this because you're getting to a point now where, you know, a team like Michigan, you know, loses a game. They had a phenomenal year that no one expected them to have, right? Yeah, it feels like they went from Harbaugh being a a zombie to the most beloved man in college football. It's it's the, it's an ESPN invention, you know. They they did it and they and they sold out because they were getting the money and like it's nowhere near as good as like this. There is no good way to determine a national champion. There is a reason why college football for decades and decades just was like I don't know. We'll just give the title out before we even play a game or we're playing bowl games or like yeah. Like there's no great way to determine this. Any playoff system is going to be flawed, but like I feel like they've chosen one of the worst ways to do it because in the name of expansion, quote unquote, you haven't really done anything different. You haven't really brought anything better to the table, and then to have the audacity after the fact to be like, well, why are people not wanting to hang around? Why are people not wanting to play in these games? Like you've told them and you've told the fan bases that if you're not in the playoff, you don't matter. You know, we we will spend games, we will we will spend time during every game talking about the playoff. We will spend time. You know, the one that got me always is that week zero game they play in Montgomery. Sometimes where it's like two FCS teams or maybe an FCS team and like a UAB or something like that. They will spend stretches of the drive talking about who they think is going to the playoff. No one cares at that point. And they get beat over the head. It's like, you know what? The team the teams that you're playing, like Painter, let's 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 put this an example as an example. Um college basketball officiating or not officiating, commentary commentary. When they talk about stuff that has nothing to do with what's going on, on the floor, it's very obvious and very annoying to a lot of fans. This happens in college football all the freaking time. They have created a problem for themselves that I wonder how much they can affect. Like, can they reverse it? Don't know. I think it's clear that the players that are in the bowl games, it matters some deal to them. But uh, this is not a new take. Like, everyone is going to make a decision that's based on what's best for them. If you're Roger McCreary, how much does it serve you to go play in the Birmingham Bowl with life-changing generational wealth weeks or a few months in front of you just doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're Derek Hall and you think, you know what, I'm going to try this NFL thing, but like, okay, it's pretty obvious. Those two people are in a different place. Yeah. And, and I think they've got to find a way to make it so that these games mean more or we just chalk it up to, okay, these are exhibitions and don't, use them as you know points of like oh yes this is what the this is what this means for the conference like it's just it's dumb it's it's just really really dumb and i guess Um, the the final point which has been made almost now to a laughable degree but i think it still makes sense is like fine espn don't charge for ad revenue for these games college game day crew don't take a fee don't take a paycheck for the bowl games just do it for the love and the purity of the game if Kirk Herbstreit really loved football, truly, like 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 the old one, like the old ones used to, he wouldn't make as much money doing doing what he does now. I think that's, I think that's definitely the case. Um, moving it's been on, a fun bowl season though, right? Like even yeah. with all this, I think we've gotten to watch some fun games. I have generally enjoyed it, with the slight exception of Alabama and Georgia rematching in yet another title game. 
It's going to be a really good football it's game. Gonna good. It's going to be good. It's going to be. This time, I'm not doing it. I did all the gymnastics. Be like, yes, Georgia, Kirby Smart. They will finally beat Nick Saban. Nope, not this time. You're not going to get me this time, Kirby. Speaking of bowl games, watch this segue. During Auburn's bowl game, John Samuel Shanker set the the Auburn single season record for catches and yardage by a tight end. And now he's like, you know what? Why don't I just go take the take all the records? Uh, Shanker announcing on on Saturday that he is coming back for 2022 this is going to be his sixth year at Auburn um also a guy who plays a little designated hitter in first base for the baseball team um would love it if he started working on a PhD (laughs) Shank was the guy that when they got him I remember he was a he was a commitment from Chip Lindsey um and the pitch when he they signed him was we want you to be able to do some of everything you're going to be our guy that we've we've used these specialty utility players in this role for years and years and years. We want a guy that can do it all. And to his credit, it took Auburn's coaching change and philosophy change to finally get it, but he did. And he is at a point where, you know, this season he was Auburn's number four receiver in both catches and yardage. Didn't have a touchdown this season, but interesting. I mean, he was he was right up there with the Demetrius Robertsons and Cheddar Jacksons. And Kobe Hudson's, he's not too far off from them in terms of just his impact to the passing game. And so now Auburn is in a spot where they have one of their most experienced guys coming back next year. We talked about how experienced there just wasn't a ton of it in this receiver room last season. And, you know, we'll see what Cheddar Jackson does. And you bring back Kobe Hudson, Javarius Johnson, some of those guys, and I think Auburn's going to want to try to push in the portal for, for dudes. But bringing Shanker back is a big deal because Auburn had a tight end on the field pretty much every play they they had this season, sometimes multiple ones. And Shanker was the one that was just the most productive. Um, Fromm and Deal are really good players. We all love uh, Landon King, um, the Twitter icon of of, of Auburn football. Yeah, it seems like Auburn may have some guys in that tight end room with higher ceilings than Shanker, but the consistency he brought to that group and will bring back is very apparent. Yeah, and then you also have, um, you know, Brandon Frazier. It'll be interesting to see what the future holds for him. Um, a guy who didn't make a catch this season was out there in certain spots. And uh, and then you bring in Michael Riley Ducker for Nebraska this, this offseason. He kind of is the bigger version of Shanker in terms of the prototype. <laughs> Ducker gets on the field this season. That's that's impressive. He's got a lot of competition he's stepping into. I do wonder, I do wonder considering where he played and how he split, this season, I, I do wonder if Landon King moves to moves to wide receiver. I do. I wonder if a Brandon Frazier moves to wide receiver because there's just so much at tight end moving forward. And I think King, I think King definitely could do it. His, the plays he made this season were kind of from a slot, big slot re- receiver position. Would be thrilled um, if they put him out wide as a pass catcher in that because I feel like if you get Kobe back as we are and, and like Javarius maybe takes a step forward because he didn't really have this season. I think a lot of us were expecting. And you add in King, maybe Frazier gives you something. You go to the portal and get one, you know, a, a possession guy. Like suddenly, that is a formidable, perhaps even wide receiver room with some upside. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do with Landon because, you know, one of the things we've talked about with Auburn this year is or moving forward is that they've got dudes like Hudson and, and Javarius Johnson and you know Malcolm Johnson, some of these guys, Tavares Dawson. Um, they're more on the smaller and quick side. And, like, is well, you need a bigger dude or you need a guy who can kind of go up and get it or a more of a possession guy. Landon King's 6'5", right? And he's 6'5", 214, so he's not necessarily, you know, big, bulky, tight end size. He's, you know, he is kind of go up and get it kind of possession receiver sized. Um, but the fact is he is a physical dude at tight end, and that's kind of what made sense for him. Not maybe, maybe not the fastest dude in the world, uh, for for most wide receivers, but those are things that you can kind of prove. I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing what they do with Lane and King, um, and a guy like Brandon Frazier as well. I think he comes from the same kind of mold of big dude. Um, but there's a lot of tight ends in this room, and Shanker coming back. You know, now you can say Shanker deal from like that trio. When you put one or two of those guys on the field at all time, you just rotate it out. Like that's a that's a really strong position group. And then we'll see what Riley Ducker brings to the table because he is kind of the the mesh of, I would say, a deal and a from in terms of 
the Punisher out on the perimeter with his with his blocking, and he loves blocking, and he loves that loves that kind of style of his game. But he's also a guy that can make some explosive plays in space um, as a tight end. I mean, he comes from Nebraska. Um, he had offers coming out of high school from Iowa and Iowa State, and it's like Iowa just doesn't go get whoever at tight end. <laughs> they turn <laughs> those dudes into freak shows. You know, they have produced. The Kittles and the Hawkinsons and the and 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 uh, the no the fans of the world like they're it was a hilarious really, really position good. to have a niche at yeah but it's very Iowa <laughs> it's it's so so very Iowa feed the boys uh, the corn so I wonder if they'll try to bulk up Landon at all you know that was a talking point this off season was how much weight some of these guys gained yeah um, and you already mentioned it's not like speed is ever going to be Landon's greatest attribute. So would ten more pounds benefit him? I don't know. I, I, I'm very curious to see what they do moving forward with him because I also think that he, I think he could give you some wide receiver stuff. But we'll see what Auburn ends up doing in the portal. Um, of course, everybody's going to have their eye on quarterback moving forward. Apparently, it sounds like in the the game happens today. Uh, apparently, it sounds like Holden Garner's had a really good week at, at the Under Armour game. I think he's going to come into Auburn here in the spring and at least make things interesting. You know, it would take a lot for a true freshman to win a starting job this quickly, but I don't think anybody can watch Holden Garner and not see that dude kind of fits what this offense wants at quarterback. Moving on with recruiting and, and, and young guys, let's talk a little bit more about Braden Joyner. We talked about him at the beginning, Auburn High product. Braden Joyner is is an offensive lineman, an interior player. Uh, I think Rivals has him as the number one center in the country. He's a four-star from uh, for in the 247 composite, which is what we use. I think 247's own rankings kind of have him a little lower, which kind of sways some of this. But, yeah, Georgia and Penn State were the other two really, really going after him. Listed right now on 247 as 6'1", Uh Big dude in the trenches. So this season at uh, at Auburn High – he played a lot of defense for them because they had an offensive line that was pretty strong and experienced. And of course, EJ Harris comes from and Drew Bobo was there. Um, Great schedule reveal for the Auburn High Tigers starting off with Hoover. Just wanted to work that in there. I know most of you don't care. Starting with Hoover in Montgomery. Like that's going to be a, a big neutral site game, Painter. A big, big. Big curtain lifter for your boys. Big fan of the uh, way that they reshuffled the classification. Auburn's schedule makes a little bit more sense as far as I can tell. But I digress. This is not an Auburn High podcast as much as I want it to be one. <laughs> we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it. But uh, he's pretty quick for his size. I mean, going off of what he's like, he, he was a pretty disruptive defensive tackle for a dude that <laughs> carries a lot of weight. I mean, that's the other thing, too. It's like you're six, you're, six, you're 330 pounds as a high schooler and it's like the guys he's coming across in high, even at seven, eight, even in, even in one of the best classifications for, you know, I think some of the best competition you're going to find anywhere. Uh, it's just like that dude's 330 pounds. Like, good Lord. And then it's like, Oh no. And now he's, and, and he's quick too. <laughs> he can move, but I, he showed a lot of that kind of ability to move. Well, hit with a lot of power. I'm interested to see this upcoming year. If he's going to play more offense, uh, for for Auburn High, if that's going to be something he he kind of brings to the table, you you see this, you can see a a center who could go out and get hit, hit guys. You could see a you could also see a dude that plays guard and, and pulls and and you know does some does some good man uh, you know gap scheme stuff that that uh, I think Auburn's going to want to do moving forward. And again, he's a four star offensive lineman. It's been a minute since Auburn's gotten one of those consensus consensus four stars. I think Keandre Jones was the last one. Although Colby Smith was like right on the borderline. Well, Auburn, for a while, it just felt like we weren't signing offensive linemen. Forget about four stars. They were just like, what if we just didn't have that position? Auburn needed offensive linemen. And like, yes. And I tweeted this and I think I kind of botched the, I kind of botched the, the wording of the tweet, but like, this is a 2023 kid. All right. This means that he will, he's got one more year of high school football left to play. He will not be at Auburn for another year. He is not helping Auburn in the immediate field. Like Auburn needs immediate help on the offensive line. They need guys to come in and help contribute right away. Braden Joyner is not that guy. Now, I'm not saying that Braden Joyner next year couldn't come in and immediately impact Auburn in 2023. It's definitely possible. But it's a position group that it's hard for true freshmen to really, really break out unless you're freak shows. Yeah, it's just like Auburn. Yeah, you're probably looking more. at least two years before he's like a uh, a real impact for the offensive line, right? I think that's what right. you're trying yeah, to yeah. get at. 
But like Auburn needs like when when people say, "Hey, Auburn needs to sign offensive line," it's like, "Yeah, they need guys who can play in 2022." This dude will be playing for the Auburn High Tigers in 2022. So, <laughs> like that's a, that's what you say. But that's the thing. It's like they need numbers. They need talent. They need all this at the offensive line. So this is a move moving forward, and it's a big first get to have. And like Auburn's going to have to continue to bulk up on their offensive line, but. This is a guy they really, really wanted. The fact that they were able to land him is 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 a pretty big deal. He had an opportunity to go to, you know, quite frankly, a much better program than Auburn is right now in Georgia, and he he is staying at home. I believe Braden was one of the I believe he was at Oxford beforehand and, and his family his family moved to Auburn, which a lot of families moved to Auburn now. Yes, he was yes, he was on a he was he was at Oxford in twenty twenty. So We'll see what Auburn does in the portal, but this is they got a top fifteen class that can get better for this twenty twenty two group, and they're already off off to a run and start in twenty twenty three with a with a blue chip player. So big pickup for Auburn, and, and and one that I know a lot of Auburn fans really really wanted to see. So a lot of football news, a lot of football news, and we're about to switch over to basketball. Before we do that, Painter, let's tell the folks at home how they can continue to support us here at the observer rate review subscribe it's that easy you can definitely rate review and subscribe on apple podcast you can rate on spotify which we love uh please do uh, i say it usually takes about 20 seconds to do it on apple mm-hmm. i'm thinking it probably takes about three seconds to do it on spotify so you spotify users you have no reason you have no excuses all right get out there and mash those five stars yeah, on Apple Podcasts, it's as easy as clicking on the podcast app, going to the search bar, typing in the Auburn Observer, clicking on the Auburn Observer, scrolling down to uh, ratings and reviews, tapping, write a review, give us five stars, say something nice about Painter in there, and uh, we'll read it on the air because we're vain people. Uh, this We have two new reviews to read, Painter. This one uh, just is titled, uh, Thoughts from a Listener. Some say podcasts are a visual medium. This one is a smelly medium. Happy birthday, Painter. Don't know. I know it's smelly in there. Yeah. And this is from <laughs> and this is from an AU Observer. It says a poem for painter. Roses are red, violets are blue. I listen to the observer, and so should you. I like the idea of people just putting nonsensical things in there like uh you know, this is a smelly medium. Just just it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. We just need you guys getting in there, right in a few words. And if it if it sounds the way you envision uh, my brain sounding and the conversations that I have inside my head, that's even better. So that's a way to support us for absolutely no money. And we appreciate all of you who do so. If you would like to listen to more of this podcast and you would like to read more of the words uh, that I write, you can do so uh, by subscribing to the Auburn Observer. $6 a month or $60 a year gets you access to everything we've got going on. Uh, every podcast, every story we do gets sent straight to your email inbox. Uh, a lot of you have signed up here over the last uh, few weeks around the holidays. Very, very cool. We hope that you stay on board and uh, enjoy what we've got going on. Uh, if you sign up to The Observer, Film Room Monday on Walker Kessler and why he is making a case that he might be the most impactful defender in college basketball right now. The numbers he is putting up this season, and it's not just his impact as a shot blocker, even though that is huge. He is doing things that when he is on the floor, Auburn is is one of the best defenses in America, point blank. So if you want to read that and want to check that out, uh, you can do so by subscribing to The Observer. Also, Painter, we need to talk about our dear friends at homefieldapparel.com, the good brand. They're at it again, folks. Uh, Big news Saturday, season three, coming up just around the corner. And uh, they're adding more schools. They're adding more teams. Really, really excited uh, about some of the ones that are lining up in the future. But if you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely an Auburn fan and you want to buy some Auburn gear. You might have a little extra money from Christmas. It's the perfect way to spend that money is going to homefieldapparel.com and buying some of the most premium collegiate vintage apparel that you're going to find anywhere. We're talking the coolest logos and the coolest designs on the softest t-shirts and the softest hoodies and the softest sweatshirts. I'm wearing a home field shirt right now. I wear home field shirts pretty much most days of my life. Eight days a week is not enough to show I care. Ooh, I need That's it's just what the good brand provides. Uh, you look at the Auburn 
list right now at home field what's in stock you've got several basketball t-shirts in stock a basketball crew neck uh you've got the side eye obby uh you've got uh got a really cool script uh auburn shirt uh in, in orange uh, and they brought back one of the hoodies are back in stock right now which is the uh the eagle flying through the a Get all that at homefieldapparel.com. If it's your first time ordering from Homefield, you can go there and type in the promo code OBSERVER at checkout and get 15% off your first order. That's homefieldapparel.com. Shout out to the whole gang up in Indy and the good brand itself. Um, Really excited for uh, what they're about to roll out here over the next few weeks. I have a feeling I'm going to be spending a decent amount of money uh, at Homefield here in the near, near future. And uh, Auburn fans, your school is already on there and stocked up so go ahead and take advantage of it nick saban going to indy indianapolis is an interesting spot for the title game but i i kind of like indy like a little bit like it's it's, it seems like he would like a a home field shirt he's a classy man he likes comfort and style yeah i think that's i think that's a that's a pretty safe assumption what were you saying about indy it's a pretty it's a pretty neat spot i mean it's not the best city in the world but like i've I've enjoyed my times in in indianapolis good enough for Um, peyton manning it's good enough for me Peyton, let's talk about this auburn basketball team they are as you say going to the moon um second game in sec play happens tuesday night uh in uh in columbia south carolina they take on south carolina uh the gamecocks it's interesting because you know auburn and uh, the south carolina team is an interesting beast at this point in the year um this is a team that had a lot of COVID issues um last year they've had a decent amount of COVID issues this year already they've had guys um not able to play uh, that much they have not played when they play on Tuesday uh it will be the first game they played since December 22nd when they played Army they have not opened SEC play yet they will play uh, play Auburn. Lost to Clemson by fourteen. Uh, lost to Co- this was the wild result of the year. Uh, Coastal Carolina and uh, Cliff Ellis beating them by twenty four in, uh, in in uh, in Conway. Uh, lost to Princeton as well this year, but they beat a, they've beaten a really good UAB team. They've beaten a pretty good uh, Florida State team as well. And uh, the last time they played, when they had you know were able to play, they dropped 105 on army um so interesting matchup i'm sure bruce pearl will have a lot of nice things to say about south carolina and like here's the thing here's the thing about south carolina they're coached by frank martin and i know frank martin doesn't always have the most talent or the deepest roster or in this case may not even have the full complement of players but like he's a really really good basketball coach and they're going to have some things that make life a little bit difficult for Auburn. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how this matchup all kind of unfolds. They're going to play good defense and gonna... it looks like they can get some second chance points. So how about we nip that in the bud Auburn? Um, I think outside of that, I like us in this matchup a lot, but uh, we know they'll play hard. Auburn has what have, have they had some tough times in South Carolina before? Well, last year, I mean, you may remember. <laughs> you may remember last year when Auburn put a hundred and nine on their heads in in South Carolina. Um, let's see. Looking back at the looking back at the history of of Auburn and South Carolina. Um, yeah, Auburn Auburn lost in twenty nineteen. There, I believe that was the game where Auburn couldn't like. Was that the game where Auburn couldn't hit anything in the second half? I th- that one's that game sounds pretty familiar in my head. Yeah, there were seven of twenty-five from deep. It's been a little, it's been a little while. It's been a few years um, since they uh, since they've had a, a struggle at South Carolina. But yeah, Frank, a Frank Martin team. They're going to play fast. They're going to play really good defense. They are statistically one of the better um, defensive teams in the country. They force turnovers. They uh, at, they're really good at, uh, at at preventing you know two point buckets. They block shots. They're they're kind of like how Auburn is this season in the fact that uh, they got shot blockers and they've got um, they've got some guards that can really get up in your grill. Offensively, it's been a struggle. They do rely on second chance points, like you say, Painter, but they turn the ball over a lot. Uh, they're not particularly good at shooting the ball this season, uh, and um, 
yeah, they, they don't take a ton of threes and they don't hit a lot of them as well either. But interesting case, they are second in the country in bench minutes this year. And I think part of it is that they've had one, two, three, four guys miss time this season. So five guys miss time at some point this year. Um, due to injury or, or COVID or, you know, these, these absences. So, like, this is a team that the last time they, they took the floor against Army, they played uh, they played 11 guys, and they were missing three. So, like, they're, they're not afraid to dip into that, dip into the reserves and, and get guys out there on the floor. So, this might be one of the few teams Auburn plays this season where depth, quote-unquote, in terms of just sheer numbers – is it going to be as big of an advantage as it has been in the past for Auburn? Now, I think Auburn's depth is more quality than South Carolina's. But, you know, this is not a team where you can be like, well, we'll just run them to death because they're not as deep. We'll, we'll see who's available in this game for them. But, um, yeah, this is not a team that's going to necessarily be shocked that Auburn plays 10 or 11 guys because they're going to be like, yeah, we do that as well. Like, we, we do that we do that by by force, like, pretty much every game. After the LSU win, I opined that perhaps it was a mixture of good fortune for Auburn, that LSU had not played someone as athletic and, and as talented as Auburn, and that then they had to go to Auburn Arena. Well, South Carolina gets this one at home, but I do wonder if there is a, a certain – if that logic has any sort of weight to it, is it like, all right, South Carolina is in for uh, perhaps a rude awakening by play, like, Auburn maybe catching them at a good time because South Carolina has not had a test quite like this. Uh, I think the only difference being now we have to see Auburn shoot a little better away from Auburn Arena, something they have struggled with at times under Bruce Pearl. Yeah, it looks like if you look at their, if you look at the way teams have played against them this year, it looks like the three-pointer is going to be available. Um, and it looks like the free throw is going to be available. Few teams in college basketball foul as much as the South Carolina team does. And so Auburn's going to have to hit free throws away from home. They did that in the second half against LSU, obviously in, in, in Auburn Arena. Um, this is a good opportunity for Auburn to go on the road, hit shots, um, get their offense kind of cranked up against a defense that is going to be tough. Now, they are not as tough defensively as an LSU is, but no one else is, right? And so um, – it's a it's a really good it's a really good test and, and you think about it last year I mean Auburn scores a hundred and nine there last season fourteen to twenty seven from deep um, just everybody kind of getting involved and spraying it all over the floor I mean, this is Alan Flanagan scoring twenty four in that game last season it was Sharif had twelve assists um, Jalen Williams and J T Thor and Devin Cambridge all in double figures they really hung it on South Carolina last season and this is a team that has. It's a new look roster, but it has very much a similar makeup where there are going to be opportunities to hit from deep and there are going to be opportunities to get out and transition on turnovers. Auburn's just got to take advantage of it. Yeah, they're projected to win by nine on Kim Palm. I think that's a pretty fair uh, spot to be in. It's hard to win by double digits on the road in the SEC, even against a team like South Carolina, who right now is projected to be, you know, one of the one of the weaker teams in the league, not the weakest, but you know probably down there. Uh, I would say da, da 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 like down there, like third or fourth worst in the league in terms of projected record right now. Maybe not the best time for me to pull out the Auburn doesn't shoot real well on the road. That its home away splits aren't aren't always awesome after they dropped a hundred nine on this team last year. But I think my point maybe, is still maybe stands. they like maybe maybe they like shooting in Colonial Life. Like it, you know it's. It's a nice, it's a nice venue. It's a nice big, uh, nice big venue. Eighteen thousand seats. I wonder how long uh, Frank Martin will be at South Carolina because I don't think it's South Carolina can just expect it to be a whole lot better than what he's brought them. No, they went to a Final Four with him, and um, yeah, I just I think it might be a situation where Frank Martin might be there until Frank Martin decides not to coach anymore, and you know it never is, never is an easy decision for those guys to make, but. It'll be interesting. I think I think if Auburn goes out there and they're sloppy on offense and they're not locked in uh, as much, South Carolina could keep the score low and, and, and keep it you know frustrating. And like it's possible, as good as this Auburn basketball team is this year, and they are you know top ten caliber and have played well. Remember, they were in rock fights in the early in the second half with Louisiana Monroe and you know uh, uh, several of these other games. Um, was it? Was it? Let's see. Was it North Alabama? The things were tight at the at the half. 
I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. I know. UCF definitely was. Um, has Bruce after South, game, South Florida? Has Bruce after game said they came out lackadaisical? Like you could play a close game against an inferior opponent, not necessarily have bad effort or not be locked in. If you want to go with that cliche, but like, has Auburn really had a game where it was obvious? Like mm, they're kind of sleepwalking. It's been a while. I think. Or I think some of those early season games they had a little bit. They had stretches of it. I think there were some stretches in those games. But yeah, I think they got a. They got to kind of tighten up, and but it, I mean, you can't really say that about their play recently because they've been pounding everybody into the dirt uh, for the most part, except for St. Louis. But um, you know, that was a that was not a game where I thought they came out lazy in the second half. I think they, I just think St. Louis just couldn't miss, and and Auburn was just very very getting very very frustrated with what they were doing on offense. Um, interesting. And here's an interesting thought I had. Uh, about this game coming up. Um, these next three, by the way. Peter, do you happen to know when Auburn goes back to school, the university? I must say January 9th. It's actually January the 12th, oh, okay. which is a Wednesday. Okay, so we talked about this with the LSU game. No classes, no finals, not anything to worry about. How they were locked into the game plan. They were locked in. You know, Bruce talking about they were all this extra film work they did. They're going to have an opportunity, it looks like, to do that against South Carolina, against Florida, and against Alabama. They go back to school the day, classes start the day after the Alabama game. Um, So you've got three games coming up here where I think Auburn can be as locked in as possible in the regular season to a game plan, to a matchup. And it's going to be very beneficial when they play Alabama and Florida. I think it's going to be huge against a game like this against South Carolina because, you know, you did beat – um, St. Louis in your in your true road test, but this is the first SEC road test, and so I, I, I like I like where Auburn's at right now mentally as a team and kind of preparedness. They they've got a lot of it to they've got a lot to like right here, um, but yeah, I just when Bruce went on and on about how much guys uh, much film work these guys did and kind of being locked into the matchup. It's like, well, you can kind of afford to do that a little bit more when guys aren't having to take classes and they have less on their plate, which is, you know, that's a that's just a fact of life. And you're about to play three games right here before you go back to school that are, I mean, really, really good. It's a really, really good opportunity for Auburn to, to get off to an awesome start. And uh, the South Carolina matchup, I think, favors Auburn, but also you get Florida and you get Alabama, two games that aren't going to be easy, especially that Alabama one. Uh, but uh, I think the schedule's kind of working in their favor. I thought I, I was kind of surprised that, you know, Auburn's not going back to school until after the football national championship game. Like, it's a get a little extra week here where, you know, just because of the way the holidays landed, like Auburn students, you know, you get a whole week out after <laughs> a week and a half out after New Year's. Enjoy it. Uh, I don't know what you're doing, but have, have fun with it. Bruce Pearl could be a rebel with the cause here. You know, Auburn, uh, athletes, look at the performance, look at the efficiency when they don't do class. Play absolutely skyrockets their knowledge of the game increasing. I think Bruce really needs to get get on the front end of that and see if we can just do away with classes for these guys. Wouldn't be it wouldn't be the worst study in the world, I wouldn't think. Um, anything else you want to add about this uh, about this matchup or anything about Auburn basketball? Like I said, we'll have the Walker Walker film room uh, on, on Monday. I'll be disappointed if I'm not entertaining a loss here, but I will be disappointed if they come out. And don't look crisp because it's like you built up some goodwill. You played a couple of good games in a row now. The win against LSU was obviously impressive and exciting. Uh, keep that going and and like you know suffocate the South Carolina team and you know at home for them. You're on the road. You have an opportunity here to keep all that going. That's what I you know. If the game ends up being close, fine, whatever. I just don't want it to be because Auburn sort of uh, was lackadaisical. Yeah, yeah, and. Again, I think South Carolina, it's just been so weird with what South Carolina's had to deal with this year with absences that I don't know what kind of – like, is this the team that beat UAB or is this the team that got smacked by Coastal? You know, or that's that's the that's one of those things where I think it's too early to tell. And also with the, the case with, with South Carolina is they haven't played an SEC game yet. Like it is, it will have been a while since they've played basketball when they, when they take, they take on our rule have been, it'll been 13 days. It'll been almost two solid weeks since they played. And so how much of that, you know, makes, makes an impact in the game. Um, we shall see for sure. Uh, all right. Painter, 
I think that will do it for this edition of the podcast. Uh, like I said, uh, subscribe to The Observer if you haven't already. $6 a month or $60 a year. You get a bonus podcast later in the week where we will recap Auburn, South Carolina, look ahead to Auburn, Auburn, Florida, and give you the latest news and our takes on what's going on with Auburn football. Um, yeah, happy new year, everybody. It's it's officially the new year. Painter told you that for the last two podcasts, but it's it's actually official now. I wanted to be the and, first one to tell you. And uh, we'll... Uh, We'll have, we'll have a lot going on to do over this week. Appreciate you guys listening and supporting us as always. You are the reason this whole thing exists, and, uh, and we appreciate you a lot. Painter, your final thoughts? Time to go make a snowman.